Welcome to Barely Audible Whisper, a weekly NPR parody podcast in no way associated with NPR, brought to you in no part by the following parody sponsors. Voting. Still legal in most states. Fake Republican ballot drop boxes. Because preventing people from voting against us, by tricking people into not voting, by making them think that they voted, by setting up fake ballot boxes for them to cast their ballots in, is easier than getting people to vote for us by governing. And voter intimidation. The difference between a poll watcher and a domestic terrorist is the difference between a clipboard and an AR-15. I am Dave. And I am Molly. And our voices are as small as the lines at polling places in rich white Republican neighborhoods. Our top story this week. Remember when Supreme Court Justice and Kermit the Frog impersonating rapist Brett Kavanaugh brought his personal calendar from the early 1980s to his confirmation hearing to try and prove that he couldn't have raped anyone because rape wasn't written into his calendar? It says on my calendar that I didn't rape any women, so I couldn't have raped any women because if I raped women, I would have written rape women on my calendar, but I didn't write rape women. While the idea that omitting rape from a personal calendar is evidence against rape is insane... Especially when it's being used as a judiciary establishment of evidence during a hearing that ultimately put me on the highest court in the land! It does demonstrate that what does and does not appear on a person's personal calendar can reveal certain things about that person's value system. I like beer! And you can tell I like beer because it says on my calendar that I had skis with squee. And skis means brewskis. Which means beer, because I like beer. And Squee is a frat boy nickname that was made up from my bro from Nebraska, who is bad at geography, Broklahoma. And my other bro from Oklahoma, who is bad at geography, Bromaha. And speaking of what one can and can't infer from a calendar, CNN discovered that Republican Supreme Court nominee and question-dodging handmaiden Amy Coney Barrett failed to disclose her participation in multiple public speaking engagements, which listed Judge Barrett as a featured participant in publicly available calendars of events. Oh no! If it says something on a calendar, then it definitely happened. Because if it doesn't say something on a calendar, then it definitely didn't happen. As part of the nomination process, Judge Barrett was required to disclose all of her public speaking engagements. Purposefully withholding information about speaking engagements from the Judiciary Committee is illegal. But fortunately for Judge Barrett, proving that she omitted the information on purpose is impossible. I provided thousands of things to the committee, so the fact that I didn't provide relevant things like information about anti-abortion political organizations that I speak to is just because I forgot. Because I was so busy providing all of the other irrelevant information that I forgot to provide the relevant information. Seriously, she claims that she simply forgot to mention that she spoke before multiple groups that oppose abortion and define religious liberty as a strict adherence to an extreme conservative interpretation of morality. And there's no way to prove that she didn't forget, so there's nothing that can be done to hold her accountable. Calendars can only prove that you didn't do things, but they can't prove that you did do things because calendars, like women, and the Constitution, are only allowed to be listened to when it serves our purposes. For a deeper look at this impossible standard of proof, Barely Audible Whisper turns to our home state Georgia Senators, Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue. I stole 
$18 million by using privileged information about COVID that I received as Senator to dump a bunch of stock right before the market crashed and buy a bunch of stock in video conferencing companies right before video conferencing became obligatory. I did the same thing, but I only stole a few million dollars, so it was a smaller news story. But regardless of how many millions of dollars we stole... I get it, you're richer than me. Stop being a bitch about it. We'll never be held accountable. Because it's technically impossible to prove that we consciously made a bunch of financial moves that wouldn't have made any sense if not for the effects of COVID because of the specific knowledge we had about COVID. You may think that's ridiculous, but I got $5 million in the bank that says it's true. And I've got 13 million more dollars that make the point 13 million times stronger. Bitch. It's the same principle or lack of principles with Judge Barrett. Everybody knows she's a fanatical right-wing theocrat with a dogged determination to enact an extreme political agenda. Why else would a party full of fanatical right-wing theocrats with a dogged determination to enact an extreme political agenda be willing to look so nakedly hypocritical to rush her appointment through? But you can't technically prove it until she's already on the bench, enacting her fanatical right-wing theocratic extreme political agenda. And you can take that to the bank. I'll take that. Plus 13 million more dollars to the bank. <laughs> I hate you. I hate me too. President Trump refused to participate in the second presidential debate. The third scheduled presidential debate is still expected to be debated, making the third presidential debate the second presidential debate, even though most media outlets are still referring to what will be the second debate as though it's still the third debate. Unless you're particularly adept at blocking out painful memories, you probably remember the first debate. America needs a scientific strategy to combat coronavirus. That's totally fake. You're fake. As always, our Trump impersonator is a woman, because we hear he hates that. Science is a hoax, just like mailboxes and Joe Biden's dead son. Can somebody shut this Get clown up? Get ready for the race war, everybody. This clown is being a clown and not being a funny clown. And excuse like me, the excuse like me. Like the clown from It. Joe Biden, who is a total loser because he has a dead son, is being very unfair to me, by talking when he's supposed to be talking. Mr. President, your campaign agreed to the rules. There are no rules. There's only chaos. Please, somebody, make it stop. I know it's my job to make it stop, but I can't do it. He can't be stopped. He's like an interrupting supervillain. White <laughs> power, white power. Following the disgraceful clusterfuck of degraded discourse that was the first debate, Joe Biden received a bounce in the polls. I'm Joe Biden, and I'm not Donald Trump. Meanwhile, President Trump contracted COVID, took a bunch of steroids, and went even more insane. I am immortal! <laughs> Ha 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 ha!
So the nonpartisan Presidential Debate Commission decided that the second debate should be done virtually, because one of the participants had recently contracted a highly infectious disease. So we can't let what happened in the first debate happen again. He can't be stopped. <laughs> but since the president has COVID, we can insist that the second debate be held virtually for safety reasons. And then we can cut his sound when it isn't his turn to talk. It'll never work. He's like a radioactive interrupting zombie who thrives off lies and attempts at enforcing norms. I'm not going to do the debate. Because a virtual debate is very unfair to me. Because my entire debate strategy is to interrupt and say crazy things. But if I can only say crazy things when it's my turn to talk, then I can't create a distracting spectacle. And without the contrived element of a circus sideshow, I just sound like an incompetent, racist, crazy person. Told you so. As soon as President Trump pulled out of the debate, Joe Biden announced that he would use the nationally televised debate time to conduct a town hall with undecided voters on ABC. I'm going to be very boring. And voters will remember a happier time when politics was boring. Because when everything isn't always a crisis all the time, then politics is just a boring debate about boring policy details. And in these times of self-induced crisis, by reality television host president, Boredom is almost inspirational. Ugh, he's droning on and on about his tax plan. This is so boring. I haven't been this bored with politics since, since before Trump, since that glorious time when I could afford to think politics was boring because politics wasn't actively ruining my life. Fearful that a traditionally dull, policy-driven discussion of issues that actually affect voters' lives without the constant sideshow of interruptions from the president would highlight Trump's failures, the Trump campaign desperately needed a distracting sideshow to counterbalance Joe Biden's delightful dullness. Joe Biden has a plan, and that plan has so many actually thought-through details that it's almost painful to have to pay attention to them all. But the pain of paying attention to details pales in comparison to the pain of suffering under plans that have no details to pay attention to. Fortunately for the Trump campaign, NBC was willing to provide the president with a platform to put on his sideshow act, in the form of a town hall that aired the exact same time as Joe Biden's town hall. 186 bazillion percentages of people who wear masks get the Chinese China Communist Party General Tso's virus. Because when the China Chinese Kung Fu movie with annoyingly bad dubbing virus sees people wearing masks, it thinks that there's still a pandemic. But if people don't wear masks, then the hot Asian chick fetish virus will think, I guess I disappeared just like a miracle, and it will go away. Unfortunately for the Trump campaign, the president's insane NBC town hall, when juxtaposed against Joe Biden's boring ABC town hall, actually highlighted Joe Biden's boring competence. True pain is having to pay too much attention to the ever-present insanity in the desperate hope of finding clues about some strategy that doesn't exist, while the lack of strategic thinking destroys our country. 
My economy is the mostest economious economy in the history of economies. Joe Biden's boredom is a sweet release from the crushing not boredom of Trump's not boring, but destructive presidency. As of this recording, the third debate, which is actually the second debate, even though they keep calling it the third debate, is still scheduled to take place. No, don't do it. He can't be stopped. He, he won't be stopped. <laughs> Giving the president one last chance to try and demonstrate some level of competency to the voters. Communist Joe Biden and his communist monster vice president Kamala Lama Ding Dong, who is a llama, secretly deployed the same SEAL team who killed Bin Laden to oh, money how to I to Biden. long to be bored again. Where there is boredom, there's hope. Senate Republicans, who one short presidential election ago declared, Oh, there's gonna be a presidential election in 10 months. So the people should get to vote for the president before the president can fill a Supreme Court vacancy. Because Abraham Lincoln did the same thing when there was little over a month before an election. And Abraham Lincoln was so wise, he knew that one month and 10 months are the same thing. Are now declaring Oh, uh, we have to fill this vacancy immediately before an election because Abraham Lincoln was an idiot. Yeah. The rushed hearing to rush the confirmation of Trump's appointee and Steffert wife with a law degree, Amy Coney Barrett, is being led by Republican Senator and whinier Tennessee Williams character Lindsey Graham. Senator Graham famously said that Republicans would not confirm a Republican nominee in these circumstances, declaring, quote, I want you to hold my words against me. But just as Democrats have been unable to hold Graham's words against him. You said you wouldn't confirm a nominee in an election year. Democrats were very mean to Justice Kavanaugh, which is completely irrelevant, but it changes the subject for just long enough to make me seem like the victim. But you promised. But Kavanaugh and the Constitution and constitutionalism and blah, blah, blah. We're putting her on the damn court. But you said we could use your words against you. And now you won't let us use your words against you. Democrats have also failed to use Amy Coney Barrett's words against her. Judge Barrett. You have dedicated much of your professional life to speaking out against Roe versus Wade. Do you think that Roe versus Wade should be overturned? I cannot answer any questions about anything that might come up if I were on the court. But you've called Roe versus Wade, quote, barbaric. And you've signed your name to multiple statements demanding that it be overturned. Yeah, but you can't assume I'm going to rule the way people who appointed me to this position assume I am going to rule. Just because I've repeatedly said that it's my life's mission to rule the way everybody knows I am going to rule. 
But I'm basing that assumption on your own words. Yeah, but thanks to this cool new thing that Lindsey Graham made up, you can't use my own words against me. But I really, really, really want to! Yeah, but Senator Graham has established a precedent, and precedents must be respected because of the respected legal precedent that says you have to respect precedent. But your entire nomination goes against the precedent that Republicans established last election. And your record indicates that you're completely willing to overturn every legal precedent you disagree with. Yeah, but there's this other legal precedent about legal precedents that says that sometimes it's okay to break precedent because sometimes precedents are wrong. And if you ignore the precedent of treating overturning precedents as deeply serious and consequential, you can use the precedent of overturning precedent as an excuse to overturn any precedent, thus establishing a new precedent, which you can conveniently use as a precedent to attack anybody who tries to overturn your new precedent before it's to your political advantage to ignore your own precedent. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe we're getting away with this. <laughs> And now, a Columbus Day message from President Trump. As always, our Trump impersonator is still a woman, because we hear he still hates that. More than 200 years ago, in 1422, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And it was bigly great for America, because he discovered it. Right then and there. Today, we celebrate Columbus Day to commemorate the great Italian who was one of the first of many Italians and Italian-Americans to contribute in a big, big way to American history. I want to make it really clear that I love Italians. For our beautiful Italian-American communities, Columbus remains a legendary figure. Sadly, in recent years, radical activists have tried to undermine Christopher Columbus's legacy by telling the truth. The most radicalist radicals want to turn our most splendorous history into sinister tales of rape, theft, and genocide, simply because they hate America, and not because there was a lot of rape theft and genocide going on back then, which there wasn't because splendor. We must teach future generations about our storied history. The most storied history that is ever historied, starting with the protection of monuments like Columbus. This was the gist of a proclamation put out by the White House on Columbus Day, a non-holiday that doesn't impact most Americans in any way, except when they realize that their direct deposits will be a day late because the banks were closed. We now turn to a series of responses to Trump's speech from people of diverse backgrounds who have a much better knowledge of history than the president does. 
Buongiorno, I am Donatello Miawatovota, and I am almost as insulted by uh, this proclamation as I am by my own stereotypical accent. If this coglione President Trump thinks uh, he can uh, pander to me by appraising uh, Cristoforo Colombo, he's uh, got another thing coming. Uh, what's coglione mean? A testicle. What this Coglione fails to realize is that Columbus Day was instituted because Italian-Americans were persecuted, and President Benjamin Harrison thought that a teaching about Colombo might help Americans see Italians as a part of their history. I, President Benjamin Harrison, in the year of 1892, in response to the widespread persecution and lynching of Italian-Americans, I'm going to create a holiday celebrating the only Italian you white assholes have ever liked. Probably because he was as brutal and cruel as you are. The way to honor Italian Americans is not to erase Colombo's history of rape, theft, and genocide, because the holiday only exists because you used to do this to us. Fake news. America has never done anything wrong, just like me. Because I am America. Faccia culo. Uh, what's that mean? Ass face. Oh, guten tag. I am through the mine past. As a German, I can fully attest to the dangers of listening to a demagogue who insists that his nation's history is pure. And, and what was his word? Uh, splendorous? Fix the shites! I can also fully attest to the benefits of taking ownership over the dark parts of your history. An open letter to the world. We are very sorry about everything. We are so sorry. We so very sorry. We decided that we needed a stereotypically long German word for how sorry we are. Vergangenheitsbewältigung, which translates to struggle to overcome the past. The truth shall set you free. The truth is fake news. Kotze broken. Uh, what's that mean? Lump of puke. Good dog, I am Jürgen Alusia Loser, and I'd like to clear up some misconceptions about Columbus. Uh, tell me, average American with an American education, what did Columbus accomplish? Uh, he discovered America. He was the first European to cross the Atlantic. No, that was Gunbjorn Ulfsen. Like Columbus, Gunbjorn discovered the New World by accident, so we don't give him much credit. Well then... Columbus was the first explorer to set up a colony in America? No, that was Eric the Red. His colony in Greenland lasted 500 years. Well, that's Greenland. Columbus actually discovered America, like the United States of part. Columbus never set foot on what is now United States soil. He proved the earth is round. The Vikings understood the world to be round. Actually, more people believe the Earth is flat today than in Columbus's time. So, to recap, Columbus never set foot in North America. He wasn't the first to cross the ocean. 
His colony was as unrelated to the United States as the Vikings. My point is, there's no reason to celebrate Columbus in the U.S., and it makes just as much sense to have Eric the Red Day. If I make an Eric the Red Day, will you nominate me for a Nobel Prize? Of course not. Fan to dig, idiot. What? Go to the devil, king of idiots. I really should stop asking. Now, to give the final response to Trump's Columbus Day proclamation, who could be more appropriate than throaty voice of justice, Kamala Harris? Hello. She's a monster. I'm speaking. All history is complicated. Take it from me. A prosecutor who was progressive by district attorney standards. But I still was complicit in the mass incarceration of black people in America. I am Joe Biden's running mate. Joe Biden's history is complicated. He has fought for equal rights for women and people of color. Yet he was also complicit in the mass incarceration of black people in America. And he has made some women uncomfortable with touching and hair sniffing. If you look objectively at our entire legacies, especially taking into account how we compare to our counterparts, my legacy and Joe Biden's legacy is a positive one. But not so with President Trump and not so with Christopher Columbus. It's understandable that Donald Trump wants us to ignore Columbus's crimes against humanity and blindly celebrate his greatness. Like Columbus, Trump has been accused of sexual violence, plundering, cheating, and overt racism. Like Columbus, blind hero worship is his only hope of a positive legacy. And like Columbus, it's time to tear him down. <sighs> and now you're going to use some foreign insult on me like all those other nasty people. No, I'll just borrow yours. You're a monster. You can't do that. Sir, I'm speaking. You can't borrow my insults. I'm speaking. Those are my insults. I'm speaking. You know what, sir? One last word for you. Ready? Roar. (laughs) During the rushed confirmation hearing of Trump's Supreme Court nominee and reason obscure Catholic organizations make terrifying horror movie premises, Amy Coney Barrett, Republican Judiciary Committee Chairman and Winier Tennessee Williams character, Lindsey Graham, referred to the, quote, good old days of segregation. Why, I do declare, I simply do not understand all this fuss about racial issues. It's not like there's a movement to return to the good old days of segregation. Following the predictable outrage over this comment, Senator Graham predictably tried to pass his comments off as a joke. 
I was obviously just making a lighthearted joke about the good old days of segregation. After all, as a privileged white southerner who is currently losing an election to a black man, why would anyone ever suspect that I long for the good old days when that uppity ni- I mean, up and coming ni- I mean, my opponent wouldn't be allowed to vote, much less challenged my entrenched white authority. <laughs> Jokes are fun. As a white comedy show, Barely Audible Whisper feels it is our moral responsibility to educate white people about the do's and don'ts, mainly the don'ts, of racial comedy. In order to explain comedic segregation references to white people who shouldn't make them, Barely Audible Whisper presents a segment we're calling Shut Your White Ass Up. How many roads must a man walk down before you call him a man? Hello. And welcome to Shut Your White Ass Up, a segment by white people encouraging other white people to shut their white asses up. I don't get what the big deal is. Lindsey Graham was just making a joking reference to the good old days of segregation. The first rule when attempting to make a joke in which you refer to segregation as the good old days is to not be white. But why can't a white person who believes that segregation was bad sarcastically refer to segregation as the good old days? If a black person refers to segregation as the good old days, the sarcasm is obvious. But when a white person says it, the sarcasm is dependent on that particular white person's point of view, which creates room for doubt, especially since most white people who make racist comments that they later say are jokes usually have checkered histories on racial issues. But that means that black people can make jokes that white people can't? That isn't fair. Of course it isn't fair. Racism isn't fair. So making light of the actual suffering of the actual victims of racism and then complaining about suffering the consequences of making fun of their suffering comes across as racist. I don't like when racism negatively impacts me. It's too bad there's not an applicable lesson to the discovery that racism has a negative effect. At some point, it's like you're actively trying to not get it. It just seems that there ought to be a way that white people can make jokes about segregation. There is. But you said I can't make jokes about the good old days. Shut your white ass up. If you want to make fun of the quote, good old days of segregation, all you have to do is make it clear that you're making fun of the white people who pine for the quote, good old days of segregation. I do declare I wouldn't be losing an election to a black man if we still lived in the good old days of segregation. Yeah, I may be poorly educated trailer trash who, due to the white supremacist system that actually denies more opportunity to more white people than it helps, lacks in basic opportunities, but I'm going to keep voting against my own economic interests because... The system treats black folks even worse than it treats me. I have taught my voters so well by depriving them of an educational system that actually teaches you things. As long as the 1% is 99% white, then I'm proud to share the skin color of the group that refuses to share anything with me. 
I do declare tax cuts for the wealthy and a stagnant minimum wage sure is a small price to pay for me making occasional references to you getting preferential seating on public transit. Hell yeah. The best part of being treated like a dog is it means I can hear all them dog whistles. Hear that? So you're saying that white people make jokes about racism as long as they're making fun of the white people who perpetrate racism? Exactly. So Lindsey Graham can't jokingly reference the, quote, good old days of segregation, but even a podcast as glaringly white as Barely Audible Whisper can make jokes about Lindsey Graham trying to make jokes about the good old days of racism? Lindsey Graham actually said it best when he said, I want you to use my words against me. And now, Barely Audible Whisper presents the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, as reimagined by Democratic Vice Presidential Candidate and Throaty Voice of Justice, Kamala Harris. Once upon a time, there was a bear. And that bear's name was Joe Biden. And that Biden bear's policy positions were lukewarm porridge. When I was a cub... My papa bear and my mama bear said, always said, Joe bear, your porridge is no hotter than anyone else's, but it isn't any colder either. And I've spent my entire career fighting for every American bear's God-given right to room temperature porridge. And some voters thought that the Biden bear was too moderate. I cannot, in good conscience, support a bear whose porridge is not the exact same temperature as my porridge. And those voters were called Bernie Bear Bros. Room temperature porridge is a cold porridge conspiracy to keep the 1%'s porridge scalding hot. And there were some voters who thought that Biden bear was too liberal. Room temperature porridge is a slippery slope to socialist porridge. But no matter your personally preferred porridge temperature, the harsh reality is that the Biden bear is the only alternative to the Trumpy bear. As always, our Trump bear impersonator is a woman, because there's no reason to believe that Trump would be less sexist if he was a bear. I will eat all of the porridge and set the forest on fire and blame the Biden bear for not raking the forest, and the bears will be ravaged by a bear plague that's especially harmful to the black bears. But I won't do anything to stop the bear plague, except... I'll call it the Panda Plague, because Gina. And the moral of the story is room temperature porridge is better than the imminent destruction of civilization. So shut the fuck up and vote for Joe Biden.
Thank you for listening to Barely Audible Whisper, made possible by the following people, writer, co-host, and producer Dave Baldwin, co-host Molly Brown, writer and actor Daniel Carter-Brown, actors Ellie Glonick, Corey Burns, and Michael Morgan. Please check out Barely Audible Whisper, where you can subscribe to us, or you subscribe to us wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. We appreciate your support, and vote! Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I'm growling. I'm growling. I'm growling. Excuse me. It was the crescendo that got me. Excuse me. I'm growling. Hubris.